family, my name is Cameron, I'm here with Lisa, and we just want to say welcome to church. We're so excited that you guys are with us today. Give it up for yourselves. Thank you so much. That's right. We are so glad that each and every one of you are with us today at City First Church. Whether you've been coming for a decade or it's yes. your very first yes. day here with us at City First, you belong here. We hope that you feel welcomed and right at home because this is a place for you to belong. And we just want to take a second. If you are here for the first time, then you are our honored guest. And we've got a free gift for you, just a small way of saying thank you so much for being with us. You can stop by the Next Step booth after service. Big blue flags. You can't miss them. We'd love to get a gift in your hand. And if you're joining us online, drop in the chat that it's your first time. We'd love to connect with you that way. But City First, can we give all of our guests a huge, warm church family welcome? You know, Lisa, today is one of my favorite days because we have water baptisms taking place right now today during this service. In fact, we have some of our friends right now, and I want to show them to you. Check them out over here. Woo! That's right. We've had over 80 people sign up to get baptized yeah. today. What an incredible way to declare your faith. I love it. That's amazing. And what we love about water baptism, it's a public expression of the inward decision to follow Jesus. And so at water baptism around City First, we cheer like crazy because it's a big deal. Let me just share what the symbolism means. When you go under the water, you're saying the old life is gone. And when you come out of the water, you're saying the new life in Christ is what I'm living for. Old life is gone, new life has begun. Nothing more we're celebrating than that. So actually we're gonna practice celebrating um, and get ready for water baptism. All together, let's try it. Ready, one, two, three. Amazing. Okay. So they go ahead, ready. stand to your feet, church family, and let's worship. And as we worship, let's cheer on those who are getting water baptized today. Come on, church, we're celebrating life change today. All that God's done, He's making all things new. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Oh. Singing, I was, I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb. Till what? Till I met Till I met Oh, yeah. 
on church, get those hands going, we're celebrating today. My sin was heavy, the chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter, I was an orphan, now you come. Come on, every voice, sing it out now, hey! When I was broken, you were my healing, now your love is the end.
celebrate life change today it's so good to know that we have hope in a God who loves each and every one of us thanks so much for singing with us today you can go ahead and have a seat as you do that tell the person next to you it's great to see you in church excited to be in church today all right all right so glad that each and every one of you are here today um, it's it's gonna be a great day trust me trust me it's gonna be a great day I hope you came ready to lean in and learn because um, God's got something special for each and every one of us today we believe that well this is the part of the service where each and every time that we gather together as a church we give people an opportunity to give back to God through giving to City First Church by bringing God his tithes and our offerings. And to participate in the giving today, you're gonna see that there's ways that are listed on the screen. And also, if you're in the room and you have a physical gift that you'd like to give, on the way out today after service is dismissed, there's some offering boxes on the way out and you can give your gift in that way. Um, but as you are taking a few moments to prepare your gifts, I just want to, man, what a beautiful picture that we just saw of God's goodness, of his faithfulness, of his kindness. 
And church, each and every time that you give, this, this is why we give. Like, this is a physical picture of why we give, so that we can partner with God in what he is up to in changing people's lives. You know, um, God is doing something special in our Mets church. I don't know if you can sense that or not, but we are, and we're here for it. You're here for it, and I want to be a part of it in any way that I possibly can. And so as you give today, every single person that you just saw, listen, has a name, has a story, and when they found Jesus, changed everything for them. And we want to continue to be a place that is an echo of God's goodness in each and every one of our locations, online, Cape Coral, God behind bars. And so church, thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your goodness. Because of you, we are able to continue to bring hope and the life of Jesus into wherever we are at. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and what a beautiful, I hope those, this never gets sold to us never gets old to us. When people meet Jesus, it's, here's the deal. This is not about, you know, this is what we're doing right here. This is not about a church. It's not about a physical church. It's not about a building. It's not about two leaders. It's not even about a staff. You know who it's about? It's all about Jesus. Because when people meet him, he changes everything. He changes everything. And so we will continue to be a church that just echoes who he is. So church, thank you for your, thank you for your generosity and your giving. Let me pray and bless our gifts and then we'll continue in our service. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what you are doing. God, you are so good. Your word says that your beauty and your love chases us each and every day. And God, thank you, thank you so much that your goodness has found so many. God, thank you for your forgiveness and your hope and your light and your love and your, uh, you're just, you're so good. And so God, we give back to you today because you've given so much to us. God, we love you, bless each gift and each giver. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Let's give generously today. City First Church is one church with multiple locations. Hello to our online location, City First Anywhere, and everyone joining us at God Behind Bars. And to everyone in a seat at our Spring Creek and Cape Coral locations, we're so glad you're here. It's our vision to see cities full of hope and people full of purpose. With that being said, let's check out what's coming up. Growth Track is designed for you to discover your God-given purpose. Join us online or in person starting next Sunday, May 7th. To sign up, visit cityfirst.church forward slash growth track. First Wednesday is May 3rd. Bring someone with you in person or online for a time together of intentional worship, prayer, and communion. Christian Life Schools offers a Christ-centered education for students pre-K through 12th grade. Mark your calendars for the next open house on Saturday, May 6th. For more information or to RSVP, visit clsschools.org. Special guest Michelle Williams of Destiny's Child will be with us on Sunday, May 7th. We'll be kicking off our new series, Peace of Mind, with a conversation around mental health. This year, City First Leadership College is celebrating the 30th graduating class. You are invited to join us for a special graduation ceremony on Sunday, May 7th at 6 p.m. If you or someone you know is in need of food, drive through our next food distribution at our Spring Creek location on Tuesday, May 9th at 10 a.m. to receive fresh groceries. Thank you for your generosity, church. It's bringing hope and help in Jesus' name. Mother's Day is May 14th. We love celebrating our amazing moms. 
Join us for photo ops, a gift for every mom, and a special in-service child dedication. If you'd like to be a part of this special celebration, please visit cityfirst.church forward slash child dedication for information on our child dedication class happening next week. Stay updated on all things City First by visiting the City First app and following us on social media. Finally, if you have a small child in service, please utilize our family room or mother's room designed for you to enjoy service with your child. We're continuing our series, Love, Songs, and Lies, Volume 2. We're talking all about relationships and how God designed them to be. Today, it's all about friends. some of you back to the 90s right there. You know what, now that song is going to be in your head for the rest of the day. You're welcome. You're welcome. But you know, uh, how many of you didn't even know there was a second verse of that song, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we are in this series called Love Songs and Lies, and actually this is the last week. Uh, we've been talking about relationships of all different shapes and sizes, and today we are going to talk about how to really be there for other people. We're going to talk about relationships, a little bit of a broader scope. We're going to talk about relationships in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, and in our cities, all right? How to really love our cities and how to be there for our city and the people in it. So in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus tells a famous story. Uh, we call them parables, and it is the story of the Good Samaritan. I am not going to preach on this story today, 
But he does talk about it. I want to focus on the question that was asked to Jesus before he told this now famous story. Because he's uh, kind of in this um, combative, tension-filled time in his ministry where the religious leaders of the day, they were called Pharisees and Sadducees. These were people that were coming at him all the time, asking him questions, making accusations against him to try to prove that he's a false prophet and all of these things. Well, the Pharisees and the religious leaders had kind of kicked it into a higher gear in this season. And a lawyer actually comes, a religious lawyer, comes to Jesus and asks him a question. And basically, it is a loaded question. And we read it in Matthew chapter 22, and we will start at verse 35, and we're going to read through 39. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, you can read along on the screens, or we'd love to give you a Bible on the way out the door if you had a physical location. Just go to the next step booth, all right? So it says this in verse 35. One of them, an expert in the religious law, this is a lawyer, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first, and what is that word? Greatest commandment. So the greatest commandment, Jesus said, is that we're to love our God with our heart, soul, and mind, all of it, all right? But then Jesus says this, a second is, and what's that word? Equally important. So, so God's saying, Jesus is saying that, that, that to love God is the greatest, and by the way, there's also a second commandment, and it's equal. It's equally important, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. I'm sure even if you've never uh, been to church before, you probably heard this uh, teaching about Jesus where he said to love your neighbor, right? Now, on the surface, this seems like a sincere question from the, the religious lawyer, but actually it's a very loaded question, and here's the reason why. The Jews were taught that they had to obey 613 Old Testament commands. The Old Testament is the first half of the Bible. So there are not just the Ten Commandments. Most of us know about the Ten Commandments. But there were actually hundreds of more commandments in the Mosaic Law and the Levitical Law. And they're altogether 613 laws. And basically, they were taught that they had to obey all of them equally. All of them equally. Well, this lawyer is asking this question. He's going, which commandment matters most to God is what he's really asking. Now, this is a trick question. He's basically trying to say, I want you to take and elevate one commandment out of the 613, and at that point, then the people are going to call you a heretic and yada, 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 because we were all taught, the lawyer is thinking, that we have to obey them equally, okay? Well, Jesus says to love God, and to love people. That's kind of a paraphrase. In other words, he's saying this, every commandment matters, but these two, loving God and loving people, those two values matter most. In other words, if you get these two, loving God and loving people, if you get them locked down, if you're doing that well, all the other 611 commandments will fall into place. Now, Jesus, obviously, because he's God, he answers this uh, trick question in a brilliant way. 
And we now, 2,000 plus years later, are talking about this, that we have to hold in tension loving people and loving God. But I would say this, that most of us, depending on our disposition, maybe our experience growing up, maybe our family of origin, or our personality, or the way we see the world, we tend to prioritize one of those over the other. We either prioritize loving God, second then is loving people, or loving people, second is loving God. It's just kind of the way that many of us are designed. In fact, you know, um, maybe on one extreme over here, some people love God to the exclusion of their neighbor. Like they spend all kinds of time in the Word of God, they go to church, they listen to worship music 24-7, they're just playing sermons on YouTube all the time, they geek out on the deep things of the Bible, the Greek and the Hebrew, and they do that, but they don't know their neighbor's name. In other words, that old saying, sometimes you can be so heavenly-minded that you are of no earthly good. And sometimes what people can do is they actually will sacrifice love on the altar of truth. But then there's the other side, the other type of worldview that sometimes people, they will, they will say loving people is the most important thing. So they're super involved in the community. They're super involved in serving. But then they tend to maybe not really know the Bible as much or maybe they selectively follow the Bible. In other words, they look at it as their cause is their church. Their cause. Um, they, they would say love is the most important thing and God's instruction in the Bible is maybe a little bit optional or maybe no longer contextually relevant in 2023. And what those people tend to do is they tend to sacrifice truth on the altar of love. Now here's the thing. The problem is, is this, is that each of those examples, they are not correct in Jesus' eyes. Jesus says that we need to hold in equal tension with equal importance, loving God and loving people, not weighting it one way or the other. In other words, we need to be able to have obedience and mercy. We need to have justice and grace. We need to have holiness and kindness. We need to have conviction and compassion. We need to have truth and love. They are held in tension equally. Does that make sense? And this is hard to do because all of us have a personality that probably leans one way or the other. And Jesus comes along and says the greatest commandment is to love God. And by the way, a second, which is equally important, is to love your neighbor. Well, in the book of Luke, different, different uh, rendition here of the story, um, there's a question, a follow-up question then that they ask because Jesus says to love God and love your neighbor. And then the man asks the question and says this, um, well, good, love your neighbor. Who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Like he's trying to kind of like, again, trick Jesus a little bit here. Well, this is a complicated question, again, that the lawyer is asking, and here's the reason why. The law of Moses, which is in the Old Testament, God gave Moses kind of like not just the Ten Commandments, but a bunch of commandments, and the law of Moses, or the Mosaic law, basically defined your neighbor as this, a personal friend. So, if, 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 if people were here and you got to love your neighbor, what they translated that as is, well, I get to love my personal friends. And, and you know what that did, though? That gave liberty for you to hate your, hate your enemies. Like, um, if you just only are to love your neighbor who is your personal friend, 
then, well, that means you can dislike people that are not your friend, right? And then the Pharisees came along hundreds of years later, and these are religious leaders of the day, and they come along and they even narrowed the definition of neighbor even more to this. They say neighbors are those that share your same beliefs. So you know what that means? Is you can hate anyone that disagrees with you. Like you can, if if someone doesn't affirm what you believe, then you can hate them, is what the Pharisees basically said. Well, you know, that's why the internet is full of Pharisees, by the way, but I digress, that's not my sermon. Um, I mean, you know, if, if, if you cancel somebody that disagrees with you, you're a Pharisee and you need, you need a pharisectomy is what you need. Because um, <laughs> that's what the Pharisees did. I mean, they canceled anybody that disagreed with them. They canceled people that did not affirm what they believed. Then Jesus comes along, and again, he turns the tables upside down, which he did physically also, by the way, at some point in the scriptures, we learn. But he says this, he goes, you have heard the law that says this, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. In other words, the law gave permission for that. He says, but I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors. Now, back in the day, if you were a tax collector, you were kind of like the equal to the scum of the earth. I mean, everybody just hated tax collectors. So Jesus is like, even a tax collector can do that much. If you are only kind or kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else, even pagans, do that. You know, you look around society nowadays, you look at culture, and you're like, yeah, um, there is a, a real overarching tone, especially in American culture, that if you're not with me, yeah, I'm canceling you. And now I'm going to cancel you, I'm going to punish you. And now I'm going to punish you, I'm going to make fun of you. And I'm going to go on social media and I'm going to talk about you. Or I'm going to go on some news show and talk about you. or whatever. And I mean, we are in this volatile society. And, and what Jesus would say is, we're no better than the pagans. <laughs> when, when we have a culture that is so volatile, so, so Jesus comes along and says, no, love your enemy. Well, ouch, I don't like that, you know? Sometimes don't you wish you had a little eraser and you can go in the Bible and kind of do, you know, then... I don't like that one, right? You know, everyone can love God. Here's the tension, right, of those two things. Love God and their friends. Everyone can love God and those that they agree with. But how about loving God and those you disagree with? How about loving those that vote differently than you, that have different views than you do? that don't even love God, who may even live in a way that you oppose, and they're even belligerent about it. Jesus would say, love God and even those people. Huh. Okay. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Right? Okay. You know, you know what the lawyer is really asking? I think the lawyer is really asking what you and I think deep down on the inside. When we sometimes are quiet before God and we think to ourselves, do I really have to love people I don't like? I mean, really, God? Can't I just love the people that I like or 
are mildly bothersome to me. <laughs> but not the people I don't like. Or do I really have to love people I don't know? I mean, can't I just love kind of the people in my sphere, you know, of influence and such? Or do I really have to love people I disagree with? Like even just like in a way that I, I passionately disagree with them. Do I really have to love them? Do I really have to love people that drive like a moron? I mean, really? Do I have to? See, all of this echoes what has been the human problem for thousands of years. Going all the way back to the book of Genesis, after sin entered the world and the first murder took place, and then someone looked at God and said this, am I really my brother's keeper? I mean, really? Do I really have to love and take care of? Here's the tension, okay? Here's the tension. The tension is, is this. It is hard to love those who have unlovely actions and personalities and beliefs. And, and I know I'm up here preaching it, and some of you might mistakenly think, oh, Jeremy's got this locked down. I mean, he, he knows what he's doing with it. No, I struggle with it just like you do. I'm human just like you. People drive me crazy. I sometimes come underneath fire, <laughs> you know, and, and I'm telling you, it is sometimes hard, real hard for me to love back. So, so just like you, it is hard to love people who have unlovely actions, personalities, and belief. And boy, is the world unlovely right now, right? So much unloveliness in this world. My favorite verse is Jeremiah 29, 11. Many of you have heard the very good. Some of you, it's your favorite verse too. Uh, <laughs> some of you uh, heard this verse before. It says basically, God is speaking to his people. He's saying, for I know the plans that I have for you. God's saying, I know the plans I have for you, Jeremy. I know the plans I have for you, God's people. Declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. In other words, there's good, good coming. Not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. I love that verse. And it's a lot of people's favorite verse. In fact, there's times because, again, I'm kind of the personality type that sometimes I'm like, maybe I should have a different favorite verse because that's everyone's favorite verse. I don't know. But anyway, um, you know, you've heard about this verse maybe. Some of you might even have it tattooed on you somewhere or something. It's pretty well known, but what is not known is the context in which this verse was written. It was originally a prophecy. It was given to a man by the name of Jeremiah, who was a prophet. It was God's word to like the people of God, and they were actually in this time, they were in exile underneath the rule of a pagan world power named Babylon, the Babylonians. So God's people are actually exiled. They have been taken away from their homeland and put somewhere else. They are in exile. They're kind of like captive. They're slaves. They are in this other like pagan culture and God is sending them a prophecy saying, I have a plan for you. It's a good plan. It's not a plan to harm you. It is to give you a hope and a future. Now, that gives us all goosebumps. That makes us go, that's awesome. But let me go back to the beginning of chapter 29, to the beginning of where that verse is found. And let me read for you the beginning of the prophecy to give us a little bit more context. It says this in verse 1. This is the text 
of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles, again, these are to the exiles, and the priests and the prophets and all the other people, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar is the bad king. He's the one that's in charge of the pagan world power. He's a, a, a ruthless man. And so basically, this is a message to the people that Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now that's interesting language. Makes it sound like God did this. Well, really what happened, if you go back, is that the people of God began to disobey God. They began to blow him off, do their own things, even worship false idols. And so God had to remove his hand of favor on his people, and the Babylonians came in and took him into exile. That means that we can't live like hell and expect, expect the blessing of heaven. We, we have to be able to live in a way that God can bless us, right? So, so anyway, unfortunately, God's people they weren't blessable because they were living just any way they wanted and God had to very, very carefully take his hand of favor off of them. And so in comes Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. And so what is the message that God is sending these exiles that are in Babylon? He says this, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they may too have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, listen to this, seek the peace and prosperity of the city. What city? Babylon. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, what is it? The city of Babylon, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Okay, this doesn't make sense. God's saying, while you're in exile against your will in a culture you don't like, bless it. Plant in it. And then he goes on to say in verse 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, saith the Lord, Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans for a hope and a future. There's the context of Jeremiah 29.11. See, the Babylonians, they had invaded Jerusalem at about 597 B.C. And when they whirled in, they were like a military force. They literally leveled the city of Jerusalem. They went into the temple, which was the Jewish place of worship, like the holiest of, of holy sites, and basically the Babylonians went in there and plundered the temple and ruined it. And then get this. Then the Babylonians took 10,000 teenage Jewish kids, teenagers, boys and girls, sons and daughters, 10,000 of them, and corralled them up and marched them out of Jerusalem and made them walk 600 miles over three months to the city of Babylon. So stole the sons and the daughters, 10,000 of them, and made them walk to Babylon and made them slaves and exiles. Babylon was the most impressive, largest city in its day in the world at that time. In fact, there was all kinds of wealth, had a huge wall around it. It was so thick, the wall was so thick that you could line up four chariots side by side 
and drive them around the top of the wall. In other words, that's how fortified the city was. It was the most advanced city of the world in its time also. Had the most, and I'm going to use the word technology because we understand that, but basically systems and ways of living, the Babylonians had it had it good, and they were very, very smart people. It was a great, uh, a place of great wealth. There was a lot of money there, and again, they were a military force. They had conquered a bunch of like regions and lands and plundered all the riches and brought it back to Babylon. And now these 10,000 Jewish young adults are being forced into the city. They come through the Ishtar Gate of Babylon, and they marched down the processional street. And this street, history tells us, had these walls. And on the walls were 120 white enameled lions with manes that were colored yellow and red. Like, these, these Jewish young adults had never seen anything like this in their entire life. And they marched down the processional street, and at the very end of the street is Nebuchadnezzar's palace. And it's huge. And next to that is a temple to a pagan god named Marduk. Now, historians believe that this temple may have been as tall as the pyramids. So it's huge. All right? And this temple is to a pagan god that, that did very bad things. Like they would worship in very bad ways. Like human sacrifice. There's all kinds of things. There were 43 temples actually in the city of Babylon. All to pagan gods. It also had a great library. It was the largest library in the world at that time. This told us this, or that tells us this, that in Babylon, if you were in Babylon, you were educated, you were powerful, most likely you had riches, and you probably had a lot of slaves. But Babylon was also a place that was very perverse. It was idolatrous. It was promiscuous. And if I could even use the term, it was demonic. A lot of bad things were happening there. And now these 10,000 youth that had been stolen out of their city of Jerusalem are now in this culture that they didn't know and, to be honest with you, they didn't like. They had grown up with a very different worldview, very different morals. They'd grown up being told to serve our God and to do certain things and live certain ways. And now they're in a culture that does quite the opposite. They are exiles far from home. It ain't Kansas anymore. And it even says this in Psalm 137. There was a song that we now call a psalm that was made up about the exiles in Babylon. And this is what it says. It says, they hung their harps on the willow trees and mourned the loss of everything they held dear. I want you to sit in that for a moment. These exiles are in a culture they didn't like, that they don't approve of, that they feel trapped in. It's bigger than them, more powerful than them, more rich than them. And they mourned the loss of everything they had held dear. That's the way some of us feel right now. We're asking ourselves, what happened to the culture that we grew up in? What happened to values? What happened to morality? What happened to right and wrong? What happened to the days when when you were able to send your kids out to go play all day and they'd come home when the streetlights came on? What happened to the days when our youth were protected? What happened to the days when our 
seniors were respected? What happened to the days where it seemed like even though they weren't perfect, that Americans were unified, that we, we loved each other and we were proud to be a part of this nation? What, what happened to those days? When did the world get crazy? When did everything change? And how did it happen so quickly? See, some of you, you can resonate with Psalm 137 and the exiles that were in Babylon who say, you mourn everything that you had valued that you have now feel like you've lost. So what does God say to these Jewish exiles? What does he say to these 10,000 young adults that are trapped in a culture that they don't agree with? You know what he says? He says, put down roots and make, make the time in Babylon productive. That is the exact opposite. You're like, why doesn't he say go build a bunker in Wyoming? Like, you know? Because that's what some people want to do. That's what some Christians want to do. They're like, I, I, I want to get an escape pod and I want to go to heaven right now. And, and yet, it's interesting because God says the opposite. God doesn't say, you're going to get out of Babylon right away, just hang on tight. No, what he says is he's like, put down roots and make your time productive. What did Jeremiah 29, what did that ver those verses say? Build homes, plan to stay, plant gardens, eat the food, marry and have kids. I have, I have, I have people, young adults, that get married and they come up to me and they, they literally, this happens to me. I would not say often, but somewhat frequently. They'll come up and they'll be like, we're scared to have kids because of where the world's gone. You know what God would say? Well, let's look at what he said to the people in Babylon, to the exiles, his people. He said, have kids. Find, find spouses for your children, he said. Multiply. Don't stay at 10,000. Go to 15,000. Go to 20,000, 25,000. Multiply. Grow. And then he says this, work for the peace and the prosperity of Babylon? In other words, pray for the welfare of the city, of the country, of the community, of the neighborhood you're in. Put down roots and bless it. Be a blessing to the space. Be a blessing to the region. And, and he says this, he goes, because listen, if the city does well, you'll do well. This is why our mission statement at City First Church is this. We exist to introduce everyone to Jesus and teach them to follow him. But there's also a vision statement that we have attached to that, and you may or may not know this. It is this, to be a movement of God's love. So cities are full of hope and people are full of purpose. See, that's why we're here. That's why we're here in the Rockford region, State Line region. That's why we're in Southwest Florida. That's why we're at God Behind Bars at Dixon and Hardy and 60 correctional centers through the Pando app. That's why we believe in City First Anywhere locations. Like right now, I heard this week we have a, we have a City First Anywhere location in Turks and Caicos. I mean, like, wouldn't you like to get baptized there? I mean, right? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like listen, here's the thing. We're saying this. Wherever we are, we're going to bless it. We're going to put down roots. We're, we're going to say we are going to pray for the welfare of it. We're not going to be like, God, get us out of here. But rather, we're going to love God and we're going to love the people of Babylon. This is amazing to me. God's saying to his people, don't mourn, mobilize. 
He's saying, don't cry, create. Don't reminisce, revolutionize. Don't hide, but rather be right there in the middle of a culture you may not all the way agree with. Bloom where you are planted. Author and pastor Timothy Keller says this about this passage. He says there's really three truths that God is speaking, three instructions that he's given his people. He's like, first, live and settle in the land. And so where we're at is where we're at. Do you know you were born for the sea? You could have been born in the 1800s, 1600s. Hygiene wasn't as good back then. It's probably good you're born now, right? You know, I mean, you could have been born B.C. You could have been born whenever. And God said, I want you to be walking the face of the earth as my child, as my son and daughter, now, where you're at. So live and settle in the land. But then he says this, Timothy says this. He goes, number two, he's saying, respectfully resist assimilation. In other words, God's not asking you to become a Babylonian. He's asking you to be light, to be salt, to stand out in a Babylonian culture. Then number three, he says, live a life of sacrificial love was the last instruction given to God's people. So we're to love where we live. We're to love our city. We're to love our community. We're to love our neighborhood. Oh, I know it got problems. I know it does. I can give you a list of problems also. But here's the thing. We're to love it. I'll be there for you, like the song. I'll be there for you, Babylon. Not just when you agree with my value system. Not just when it's convenient to me. Not just when I feel like it. Not just when, when you know you, you, you get in line with what the Bible says. No, no, no. I'll be there for you. Even when I don't agree with the choices you're making, doesn't mean I'm making those choices, but it means this, I'm going to be there for you. You know what it says in Psalms 112? It says this, light shines in the darkness for the godly. Now listen, how does it happen? Three ways. They are generous, which means that they give their money, their time, their resources, their talents. They are in. In the dark moments, in the dark moments, they're generous. Secondly, they're compassionate. Notice it doesn't say judgmental. It says compassionate. They're compassionate in the dark moments. I always think it's kind of interesting when church people get all bent out of shape when people who don't claim to be followers of Jesus act like people who don't claim to be followers of Jesus. Yes, I get, I mean, people come up to me all the time. Do you believe they did this and this? I'm like, yeah, I, I kind of, yeah, I saw that coming. Because <laughs> they don't have the same values. They don't adhere to the same moral code. They don't serve God the way that we serve God. I mean, so yeah, so what do we do? We're compassionate. You're compassionate. Compassion will draw people more than judgment ever will. Do you understand that? When you're compassionate, it draws people. Judgment pushes them away. All right? Last thing, what does it say? The people of God are righteous in the darkness. What does righteous mean? It means right standing with God. It means this, that they live by a different moral code. There is a holiness about them. There's a difference in the choices they make and the way that they live. And so therefore, if we're going to be light, we need to have those three things. 
And we need to be able, yes, we should stand out from our culture. We should live different than our culture. It's really true. We're in it, but not of it. So as we close, God says to the exiles, not only thousands of years ago in Babylon, but today, he says, I'll be there for you. For I know the plans that I have for you, says God. Plans that are good, not to harm, plans for a hope and a future. So God says, I'll be there for you. I'll be there for you, City First. As you're living maybe in a culture that you're like, I don't like it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like what's going on. God says, I'm going to be there. But then, but then, listen to this. The exiles, that's us, say to God's world, I'll be there for you. I will bring peace and prosperity to the city. I will pray for the people in my neighborhood. I will do everything I can to make sure that the city prospers because God says, if the city prospers, then I prosper too. So I'll love and I'll serve. I'll be there for you, Rockford. I'll be there for you, State Line. I'll be there for you, Cape Coral. Fort Myers. I'll be there for you, Dixon, Hardy. I'll be there for you, City First Anywhere. You see, that's what God is saying. And we say then to the people, we'll be there. I want you all to put July 15th on your calendars, all right? July 15th, we're going to put this into motion where we are going to have one day that we are going to just be nuclear with our love. We are going to be all hands on deck. There's one day that we are going to serve our communities wherever City First is. We are going to serve the community one day. Now, we do all kinds of stuff year-round, but this is like a concentrated thing. This is like an all-hands-on-deck thing. This is like, put it on your calendar now, and some of you are like, well, that's during vacation. Good, then you have time to do it, okay? So here's the thing. Let's all look at that day, and we're going to do one huge serve day. We're going to join with hundreds of other churches in the nation, and we are going to serve this nation in the name of Jesus for that day. It's going to be like all hands on deck. Thousands upon thousands upon tens of thousands of people are going to do it, all right? And, and you, say, you say, why? Well, because we're to bless the city. And God said to those in exile, plant roots, build homes, have families, and bless. Pray for and bless where you're at. Also, on top of that, we're doing a thing called Second Saturday Serve. And again, I'm not going to talk mo uh, much about that. That launches in August, and August is like 10 years from now. So anyway, um, but Second Saturday Service, for those of you that really like this idea of serving, you want to do it more than one time a year, um, you're like, boy, I'll tell you, I'd love to do that. Well, the second Saturday of every month, we're going to do coordinated serve efforts at all City First locations that we'd love you to jump in on if, you, if that's what you'd like to do. But G July 15th, that's the one I really want you to think about. And as we close, some of you are like, why do you do all this stuff? Why do, you, why do you give out millions of pounds of food as a church? Why do, we, why do we, like, give money away? Why do we, you know, give money to missionaries and rescue children and, and, and women, like, in Thailand, places like Thailand and Indonesia? And why, why do you help local ministries? And why, why do you do all this? Why do you do all this? Well, I'll tell you the reason why. We do it 
because the community and our neighbors may not agree with our values. They may not acknowledge Jesus as God, but may they also not be able to ignore our love for our community. Does that make sense? So, yes, they may not agree. They may think the way we live is prudish and old-fashioned. They may think we're narrow-minded. They may think Jesus is a joke. They may do all of that, but may they not be able to ignore the love that we bring to our communities and our neighborhoods and our cities. May they not be able to ignore it. As uh, Lisa Harper talked about at the original conference, she said in one of her classes when she was getting her doctoral, she said the professor asked if, if your church were to disappear overnight, would people be happy or sad or would they even notice? And uh, I heard that and I thought, okay, God, what about City First and all of our locations? If we were just overnight, disappear, would people be happy or sad or would they even notice? I hope that they would be sad and I'd hope they'd notice, but this is the thing. We're going to do everything we can to be such a movement of Jesus' love in our communities that if for some reason we were to disappear, which I don't see happening, but if we were to disappear, that there would be a huge, huge empty space in the community because all of a sudden these people of God are no longer there doing that. May people notice because people don't care what we know until they know how much we care let's go ahead and let's pray all right you can give god a round of applause jesus simple prayer as we close some of us feel like we live in a culture where we're exiles we uh we are mourning the loss of values and things that we held dear. Lord, I pray that today would be a turning point that we wouldn't, we wouldn't cry, but rather we'd create. And we wouldn't run, but rather we'd revolutionize. And I pray that, God, that we wouldn't mourn, but we'd mobilize. And that there would be a sense of what you said to your people in Jeremiah 29. We would plant, put down roots. We would love our neighbors. That we would do works of love in the name of Jesus. And I pray that people who maybe don't acknowledge you as God would take notice and become curious because they see God's love in us. Thank you, Jesus. Help that to happen, I pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, some of you saw people getting baptized earlier and you're like, I've never made that decision to make Jesus the leader and the forgiver of my life. Now, if you want to get baptized today, you can. I'm not saying you have to get baptized. But, but if you're like, I want to make that inward decision that then led people to get baptized, and that inward decision is saying, I want Jesus to be the leader and the forgiver of my life. I want to pray for you real quick. If that's you, and you say, I've never made Jesus a leader of my life, and I really, really would like to do that today, just go ahead and raise your hand. Everybody's eyes are closed. Yeah, hands are up. Hands are up. All right. Can we all say this prayer together? Let's say it all together, whether you raise your hand or not, and realize that God is listening to your voice. All right. Let's say this prayer. Jesus, I come to you today. I ask for forgiveness for all of my sin. I believe you died for me and that you love me. Come into my heart. 
I want to live for you. I won't be perfect, but you are perfect. So help me in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Come on, put your hands together. Amen. Hey, listen, if you just made that decision to make Jesus the leader and the forgiver of your life, we want to let you know that is the best decision that you have made, not only today, but of your entire lifetime. Yes. So we want to come alongside you as a church family and be the first ones to say congratulations. And listen, this is the first thing we need you to do is that we need you to tell someone we're better together. We're not meant to do this thing on our own. So listen, drop it in the chat. Let somebody know that you just made this decision. And then secondly, we have a free resource for you called the free beginnings book listen new all the, book. oh sorry new what did i say <laughs> you said free beginnings. free beginnings hey you're free. also free but new beginnings book it is free and what that is it walks you through this journey of faith and what happens tomorrow when you have to clock yeah. into work and it, and it helps you up uh, it basically it's like a play-by-book yeah. okay what do i do now that yes. i've made this decision to follow jesus yep and you can get that online or if you stop by in person at some point we'll get that in your hands yep. and then after you go through that we want you guys to go through something called growth track mm -hmm. growth track is a great way to discover your God-given purpose, get plugged in here. But more than anything, it's designed for you to live the yeah. life that God has designed for you. Yeah. And what's cool about doing it online is that you get to do it kind of at your own pace yep. and go through it. And and then when you get to the end, we'll get you plugged in and you get to connect, connect, get connected here yeah. at City First Church, um, part of our City First Anywhere fam. Yep. Yeah, that's also, hey, listen, if you watch exclusively online, we want to let you know that you are part of our church family. Yes. We're so honored that you choose to watch City First yep. Church, whatever time this is. You might be in your car on your lunch yeah. break. You might be at work. You might be at the gym. Whatever it may be, you are part of this church family. We want to get to know you yeah. and get connected. So right now, scan the QR code because we want to know, listen, who's a part of this yeah. church family? So drop your name in the chat, but scan the QR code and let us know where you're watching from and, and just fill out all that information because we want to get to know you. And also, you've heard us say it, but also you can do that on the app as well. Tap the City First Anywhere button. Yep. Lastly, everything that we do here, actually not lastly, we have one more thing, but yep. everything that we do here is because of the general of this church, the way that Jer's talking about where we're in love on our communities, yep. get involved in our communities, serve our communities, we're able to do that through the generosity of this church. And so if you've been wanting to jump in yep. and be like, okay, God, I'm going to trust you with my finances, we have something called Generosity Rockstar, which is reoccurring giving. It's $20 a week to start. That's like two Starbucks yeah, drinks. Come on. Um, and so we encourage you to jump in and see what God does. Yeah, it's awesome. Hey, listen, we just finished our series, Love Songs and Lies, Woo! Volume 2, and we're really sad. But hey, if you missed any of the messages, feel free to go on YouTube. YouTube or the app or yeah. watch them. But next week we are starting a brand new yes. series called Peace of Mind and we have special guest Michelle Williams Yay. coming and it's going to be incredible. Make sure you get yourself to church. Watch online. It's going to be incredible. Yeah. Hey, get a watch party. Get yeah. your friends. Watch mm -hmm. it in your living room because it's going to be insane. And then also first Wednesday is this Wednesday. So yes. come in person, Cape, uh, Spring Creek or tune in online. Tune in online. We yeah. love you guys it's so much. We'll see you back here. Bring somebody with you. We can't wait to see you next week at church. We love you. See ya.